Welcome to The First 10 Years, a career podcast focused on learning from our past to propel us into the future. I'm your host, Danielle Doolin. I'm a communications professional, career and finance writer, and a career changer. But most importantly, I'm fascinated by work and how it fits into the bigger picture of life. I love to ask questions and want to know everything there is to know about how to have a successful and fulfilling career. On the first 10 years podcast, I'll reflect on my career journey thus far and invite other professionals and experts into the conversation so we can learn together how to turn the first 10 years of our career into a foundation for our ideal future. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the first 10 years podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Doolin. And I can't believe we are already almost one full month into 2024. It feels like we just celebrated New Year's and now we have like a week and a half left of the month. Um, So it is truly flying by. I'd love to hear how your goals are. Did you set any for this year? Are you still working on it? Um, Maybe this year is just, this month is just a a warm up for, for the rest of the year. So Um, Yeah, time just truly flies, but I am excited to be joined today by guest Sarah Duty. So let me tell you a little bit more about Sarah. Sarah is the founder of Career Strategy Lab, a program that helps UX and product professionals at all career stages navigate their job search and articulate their skills and experience through individualized and group coaching. She's also the host of the Career Strategy Lab podcast. Since 2021, professionals who have worked with Sarah have increased their salaries by 40% on average and have been hired at prestigious brands such as Microsoft, Amazon, Salesforce, Nordstrom, Spotify, and Blue Origin on average in three and a half months. The program has been so successful since its launch that its combined salary of program graduates hired topped nearly $6 million. Sarah has been named a Future of Work expert by Forbes and is a regular Forbes.com contributor. She has also been featured in Fast Company, Insider, Fox Business, and more. Sarah is also the author to her first book um, coming in 2024, The Product of You, How to Design, Market, and Sell Yourself in Your Career. So stay tuned for more on that when that launches later this year. We'll talk about that a little bit in our conversation. Um, I'm so excited to be joined by Sarah. She had so much great advice and such a unique career story to share. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on the First 10 Years podcast. Thanks for having me, Danielle. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I'm excited to dig into your career journey and all of your great words of wisdom I'm sure you're going to share. Um, I always... (laughs) I always love to kick off all of my conversations by learning more about my guests and their first 10 years of their career, starting with what they want to be when they grow up. So can you walk me through that? I love this question because I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, I was always really creative and really technical, and I could never put my finger on what kind of creative career would be great. So I just defaulted to medicine. Um, I got accepted (laughs) into a neuroscience program in Canada. And my really flawed logic was like, this will get me into medicine, but it will be the least gory part of medicine (laughs) I could pursue. So I had these plans. And then at the last minute, I took a year off. I had friends in the United States. I'm from Canada. And I came to the United States for a year kind of got into graphic design and web design and realized this is the perfect combination for my really creative and really technical brain. 
And I never went back to Canada. I didn't do neuroscience. I got a business degree and (laughs) the rest is kind of history. And you know what I do today in my career? I didn't even know this field existed until, I don't know, four or five years, like after I had been in college. So yeah, that's my interesting start. So help me connect the dots between creativity and neuroscience and like medicine, because I (laughs) I wouldn't get there on my own. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I think I was always really good at problem solving and connecting dots. And I was really good at science projects. My teacher's always said I was really good at writing too. And I think I thought if I did neuroscience, there'd be a lot of problem solving, a lot of creativity. I could go into research. I could go into teaching. So I think that's what I was thinking back then. Um, And it's ironic because a lot of what I do in the field of user experience or UX, there is a lot of understanding human behavior and how people think and research and psychology and things like that. So I still get a little bit of that, but I'm not, you know, a neurosurgeon. (laughs) (laughs) So you graduated with a degree in business. What did those first roles look like out of college? Yeah. So I had a weird college experience because I, I think it was first semester of my second year, I got a full-time job um, working at a software company in Portland, Oregon. It was one of these through a friend who worked there and they needed some like low-level marketing people. So he reached out to me and I was living um, in Texas at the time. And so I moved cross country sight unseen because I thought, okay, I can start my career, get real world experience. And the awesome thing was the company would pay for the remainder of my college if I stayed there long enough. So I didn't really have a normal experience in college. You know, I was like working, I didn't, you know, live in a dorm or anything like that or do college things. I was just amassing this experience. And it was um, a company with, I think, two or 3,000 people around the world. And I roll in like 20 years old, I think, or something, um, and was thrown into the marketing department and web design and and all this stuff. And so that was my first real job. Wow. That's such a unique experience. I've never heard of someone being able to step into a full-time role like that while still in college. Yeah, it was very challenging because, you know, I still had like a full-ish course load plus working nine to five and like learning how to operate in a corporate environment, which I had right. never done before, you know? And there was people like, I was definitely the youngest person on my team. And I think everyone thought like, why the heck did she get this job? Um, but it's funny because in the first week of being at that job and honestly, really the first day, I was asked to design banner ads, but remember from like 10, 12 years ago, the annoying ones, and it's like almost casino Mm -hmm. games on banner ads. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was asked to do that. And I thought, I don't know how to do this. So I Googled it, how to make a banner ad um, and made them. And then you can probably relate to this. It was all this back and forth of like, make the logo bigger. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. I don't like these colors, et cetera. 
And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, what the heck have I done? Like, I don't want to do this. I can't be like appeasing people and making the logo bigger and changing the shade of green and all this. And so I remember thinking to myself literally in that first week, but I really think it was in the first 48 hours. Um, I can't do this corporate thing. I got to make an exit plan really quick, but uh, cause they were going to, they were going to pay for my college. So I stayed there for, I think it was three and a half years, finished my college, spun up a freelance business on the side um, and worked with a couple of companies uh, like in Silicon Valley and locally and stuff to get experience. So then when I closed the chapter on my education, I could have the freedom to hopefully get out of corporate or at least like go to an agency and not be like making websites for semiconductors or something like that, you know, which was what the company did. So did you find that your coursework when you were in school applied to your full-time job? Like that's a really unique perspective to have that you could potentially apply what you're learning in the classroom directly to your job or was it, did you learn Mm -hmm. more on the job? It was more the, the coursework, the coursework was helpful in that it was teaching me like a lot of business stuff that I had no clue about. Like I'd taken accounting classes in high school and stuff, but reading through case studies of companies and their success and their failure and doing research and having to write reports, that was very valuable to me. But in my coursework, I wasn't necessarily doing courses about graphic design or web design and things like that. I remember there were marketing courses, which were interesting to me because I didn't really ever take a marketing course before. Um, But in hindsight, I think what I was really learning in that college experience was timeless skills of writing, critical thinking, communication, analysis, you know, um, all of those things that I've been able to take to the various kind of twists and turns in my career. Yeah. But I, I was really just of the mindset, like, get the degree and move on, you know, because I it's, it's back then I thought this is a stamp of approval that is going to help me, which I have no regrets about. I'm glad I did it. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to walk out of school, I'm sure, with those student loans and having that cost covered. I think oh. I'm sure it was worth the price of admission. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, I, I knew I was going to have no loans, but I didn't realize how awesome that would be. And to like, have started a 401k when I'm 20 years old or something and Roth IRAs and all this. So getting a head start on a lot of that, I think helped create just even financial habits of just like set up these automatic things. So you never see it and you don't miss the money and all that. So yeah, like I was very lucky in that this person worked at that company and thought of me for the role, but I also worked my butt off for the years I was there juggling like, being alone in this new city and being a corporate person and doing my degree and inventing all this freelance business too. Yeah. So did the the desire to start that freelance business stem from not wanting to work in corporate or did you have a bigger plan in mind when you, you started? Um, I think it was really around corporate and just realizing I didn't like all the red tape. I didn't like the meetings. 
I wanted to work on more creative um, projects and, and products. Like I said, this was kind of like software that engineers use to design chips. Um, and that's all I can tell you about that, really. <laughs> but you know, I was living in Portland, Oregon. And so there were all these advertising agencies like Weidman Kennedy doing really cool stuff for Nike. And I thought maybe I could work at Weidman Kennedy, or maybe I could go work at Nike or Columbia or something. Um, and so I think I thought I could get to an agency, get more experience and maybe do freelance. But I also knew I could still do just even like three projects a year freelance and continue building that portfolio and resume and example work and really contacts too, you know? So that's kind of the trajectory I was heading. That's so important too, to build that brand. I'm, I'm sure you, you may not have crossed your mind mm-hmm. at the moment, but to have that skills and like you said, build that portfolio in addition to what you're doing during the day at a, a, a different job. That's such yeah. valuable skills to acquire. So what happened next? You left that company yeah. and you're doing freelance work. What happened? So I left that company because I had a friend that um, had come into this business idea and angel investors, and they were going to launch this startup in New York City. I had never been to New York City, but I thought, sure, I'll move to New York City. (laughs) So I literally like Craigslist, all my stuff in Portland, sell my car, fly to New York. Um, you know, I had interviews and things and there were other contenders, but I got this job. And so I worked at this startup for, I don't know, three or four years. And then I worked at another startup after that. And they were both very polar opposite. One had like a very small team, no experience and a very small amount of money. The other one had an accomplished team, a ton of money and like lots of potential. Um, but it, it was awesome because I'd never been to New York city. So I'm like thrown into the opposite of corporate, um, these startups. And I was given the title of director of product development, (laughs) like just way inflated. But when it's a five person team, like you can have any title you want. Um, and so I did that and it was awesome. And it was, you know, back in 2007 or so in New York city, that was the beginning of the startup kind of world there. And um, I have made so many connections and got to be a part of so many cool like groups and meetups and learn from so many people. So yeah, I did that um, for, gosh, a good six or so years. And then one day, as with many startups, there's often like lots of politics and things like that. And I just felt like, I wasn't really able to do the work that I wanted to do because the company was kind of struggling. And so everyone was like clamoring to control it, essentially, especially the product. And so I thought, you know, I'm done with this. So literally on a Friday afternoon, I gathered my things from my desk and thought, I'm not coming back here on Monday. So, which I don't recommend to people, (laughs) but, and granted, I had been thinking about leaving for a good year. I had just not, you know, taken the step, especially quitting your job in New York City is a lot different than Portland, Oregon, right? It's just way more expensive. So I 
emailed the founder of the company on like Saturday or Sunday and said, you know, thanks so much. This has been great. And I won't be returning. Um, and then long story short, uh, they finally accepted that. And then I went to Europe. I'd never been to Europe. I'm like, I'm going to Europe. So I went to Europe and then they hired me to do freelance work because they realized, uh Oh, like we lost a good person. <laughs> we still need her to work for us. <laughs> So that is how in 20, gosh, 12 or 11, I um, started like my freelance business up again, really in New York. Um, And it was awesome because like I said, still, I had all these contacts and startups. And speaking of personal brand, I had intentionally, but not like hyper intentionally, I joined Twitter. So I was pretty like well developed on Twitter. I had a website, I was getting SEO traffic. So the inbound requests for consulting work were pretty frequent and a lot of word of mouth. So thank goodness I had that kind of like cooking in the background because that allowed me to essentially quit this job um, with no plan, except that I was going to do freelance. I just didn't, I didn't know if I had enough like things, balls in motion to make that happen, you know? Right. So walk me through what that felt like to, to just quit your job. Like they said, you said you had no plan. It wasn't necessarily planned, but yeah. like what, what did that feel like to walk me through those emotions? Yeah. You know, I was, I was really nervous because I didn't want to burn bridges with the founder. I really respected him. I still remember our interview, like even questions he asked me to this day And it's ironic because now I live in Salt Lake City and he lives in a town close to Salt Lake City. We're both like fanatic skiers. So we ski like during the winter together and he's a really great friend. But um, I was very nervous and I I was nervous too financially. Like, sure, I had savings and all that and I didn't have student loans, but still it was just, is this going to work out? Um, And I was also very excited because I thought, now I can finally do this thing I always wanted to do. And, you know, what better place to try and do this than in New York City, you know, where it's kind of like Silicon Valley of the East, I guess. And if I can't do it here, then I won't really be able to do it anywhere. I guess like the song, you know. (laughs) In hindsight, would you have done it any different? I don't think I would have done anything differently. Well, I guess I just wish I would have left sooner. Um, I remember like multiple months of just feeling like defeated and the politics were really getting to me. And, you know, I'm surprised half my friends didn't break up with me or something for all the complaining I did about like certain coworkers and things like that. But um, I, I don't regret like how I did it or that I didn't have a plan because I think way in the back of my mind, I knew it would be okay because I just had enough things um, loosely in place that I was pretty sure it would be okay. Yeah. So then I launched into doing freelance work for a while. Um, I kind of connected with a friend who had his own user experience agency. So that was nice because I had guaranteed hours. I think it was like 20 hours a week or something like that. And then I also had this space to take on as much of my own stuff as I wanted to. I bet that felt really good. 
yeah, it was, it, it was a nice, um, like parachute in case I ever had, you know, times when I didn't have enough inbounds coming in or something like that. But another really great thing happened right, like bef right before I quit that job. So I wrote a blog post, um, called why we need storytellers at the heart of product development. And the premise of this was I was working with so many startups and I was observing how this team would say one thing and this team would say another thing. And the design team would say, this is what we're going to make. And then six weeks later, remember the game of telephone when you're a kid, mm -hmm. it was like that. And so my theory was we need more people in companies that are like understanding, communicating and evangelizing the story of what the heck are we doing? Who are we doing this product for in terms of customers or users? What are the business requirements, et cetera? And back then this term product storyteller didn't exist. I just made it up. So I wrote this blog post and then it was a Friday night and my Twitter was just like, swirling with notifications. Like this post went totally viral back then. And I literally had people from, um, Pixar, from fast company, from Stanford, like they're all like, we need to talk to you. And I'm like, what the heck? So that was just this like crazy thing of just sitting down probably late one night, hammering out this blog post, hitting send. And then a couple of days later, it's like blowing up. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so I pitched it to be published on kind of a website related to my industry. And they're like, sure. So um, it went viral again through that. And then like next thing I know, I'm having conversations with like the CTO of Pixar, um, professors at Stanford, VCs from Silicon Valley at these like fast company events in New York and stuff. And that, I say this because hitting send on that blog post, I honestly don't know if I would be doing what I am today if it weren't for that, because that got me into teaching. It got me into more writing and it got me a bunch of connections that led to many other opportunities that have kind of like been major mileposts um, on my interesting career journey. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. Where did you pu just publish it on your website? Like where did you publish it that it got so much traction? Yeah, it was just on. And now that I've said this story out loud, I think what happened first, cause this was in 2012. So over a decade ago, I published, published it on my website. It got a lot of traffic and then it went viral on Twitter after it was published on this other industry website. Um, but I had decent Twitter traffic just on my own. And I also had a newsletter, which was very, very critical decision or thing I did in my career. It had never occurred to me to make an email list and, you know, like entrepreneurs do and even non-entrepreneurs these days. But I had a list of probably 5,000 or something. And I just sent it out to them one day. So, um, I've really always been kind of marketing and being very strategic, but 
back then I didn't realize it. I was just like, oh, of course I should have an email list. You know, it wasn't like some master plan. Right. So that it sounds like it just came second nature to you because back in 2012, I don't think that was a thing that everyone had these newsletters. I think it is now. I yeah. think it's everyone has a newsletter totally. on Substack or LinkedIn or something like that. But in 2012, to have such a robust email list and to be communicating to it yeah. in the way that you were, that sounds very ahead of its time. Yeah. And I, I think the reason I did it was because, are you familiar with Marie Forleo and her mm-hmm. B-School program from years ago? Yeah. Maybe she still yeah. runs it. I don't know. I did the B-School program because I thought, okay, I have these friends doing this. I guess I'll do it too. And I remember watching the lesson about making an email list. And in my head, it was like alarm bells going off. And I thought, because I think the line was like, if you don't have something to sell now, you may in the future, even if you don't have something to sell, you just want to share an idea or like a blog post, having an email list makes sense. And so I did it and it was the best thing I could have done. I remember the first one was on MailChimp. Um, And I think too, I remember as I was working with startups, you know, they would put up email lists even before they launched to get that beta, you know, potential beta user base. And so I think I was hearing about it from Marie. I was seeing it with the startups. And I think when I, when I finally heard Marie say it in this course, I thought, oh my God, of course I need to do this. So for anyone listening, this is your sign to start an email list. <laughs> if you've totally. been wondering if it yeah. works, this is your sign. And the thing, we don't have to get into like the nitty gritty of email lists and things, but you know, you can go make something on Substack or all these places, but be really mindful to make sure that you can take those email addresses to other places, you know, because some of them don't let you like download them and you don't truly own that email address. But if I didn't have that email list, I couldn't have launched beta programs. I would not have garnered tons of sponsorships. We're kicking them back up again. We paused them for a long time. But now that email list is something like 44, 43,000 people. And so when I have something to say, or I have a new product, or I have a book coming out, you know, that is very, very valuable to, to my career, my business. Absolutely. So walk me through where you were at that point to where you are today and what you're doing. Yeah. So, um, I did my consulting. I 2012, that's when that kicked off. So then around 2017, I noticed this problem, personal problem. My inbox was full of emails that other designers were asking me, how do I make a design portfolio? And I literally would think to myself, if you can't figure this out, you're not going to be a designer for very long. Because in my head, I'm like, you're a designer and a big part of your job is like pitching ideas. And in your portfolio, it's a pitch for you to a company. So it was so just like, visceral reaction for me. I'm like, these people are never going to get hired. Um, So I would put them all in a folder, like intending to follow up someday. And then I never did. And finally, it got to the point where I thought, I'm just going to teach an hour long lunch and learn. And I will never have to talk about this topic again. (laughs) So I put up a landing page, didn't even make the workshop. And I just thought if some, like if 40 people buy this, I'll do the workshop. 
So in 48 hours, like 85 people purchased this. I think it was $39. I had a waiting list of 400, I think. Um, Because I shut it down. I'm like, 85 people. Like, this is nuts. So, and then I quickly make this workshop. It was an hour long. Um, And then we had a little Facebook group because Facebook was where groups were at back then. And I left the Facebook group open for a month afterwards, just so people could like mingle and talk to each other and ask me questions. And then in the group, people were saying, I have an interview. I have multiple job offers. I got hired. I left my job as a graphic designer and now we're making double. And I'm like, holy cow, this is pretty crazy. So they also said to me, can you teach this again and make it four weeks long instead of one hour long and go deeper and break up what you taught us in an hour, but like slower and with office hours and all this. And that is when the product designer in me thought, okay, I guess I'm onto something, even though I swore I would never like have my own company and my own startup. So that launched me into teaching this portfolio course for designers for probably a good 18 months. I did it live every month over and over until I felt comfortable um, with the material that finally I recorded it. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Like I thought, okay, I have to figure out how to sell this and how to market it. And then people would say, okay, I made my portfolio, but how do I do my resume and how do I negotiate jobs? So that launched me into developing now this suite of courses that cover all topics like job search, job interviews, resume. Um, And before you do any of that, we have people create what we call kind of like a life map and a career map. We could talk about that more later, but that evolved now into this program called Career Strategy Lab, which I'm the CEO of. And we have, I think we have a five person team now. Um, and people join this program for either three or six months and go through the material, come to office hours, get resume critiques. We have mindset calls because that's a huge thing. And now um, that's all I do. It's my full-time job. It consumes all my time. Yeah. And we have people get hired like every week, like Blue Origin, Microsoft, Apple, Wells Fargo, Capital One. So it's wild to see how this all happened. And I think from the outside, some people think it's some overnight success. But I'm like, oh, no, this has been cooking since 2017 um, when I was like teaching this thing live every month. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got that's that's a decade in four minutes. (laughs) That's such a cool story. And congratulations on all of that success. Um, It sounds like part of what you're doing, too, is obviously you're teaching about careers and all of that. Is that something that you've always been you've been interested in or passionate about? Or is that something that just evolved from this need that you found? Um, I think it evolved from the need from just seeing all these people who had struggles with this. But Also, in hindsight, I did have like a lot of friends that would come to me when they were in career situations, like a couple of friends. I remember walking down Fifth Avenue and hearing them say, I'm going to quit next week. Like, this is the week I'm going to do it, et cetera, and helping them with their resumes. And then six months would go by and they didn't quit yet and they'd come back. So I think 
they came to me, I think, because they respected me, I guess, but also I think because I was really good at writing and communicating and maybe even, you know, sometimes when you're good at something, you're the last person to really realize it because it's second nature to you. Mm-hmm. And I think they really saw that. And I think they'd seen me take these crazy leaps that, you know, from my perspective, I was just going on to the next thing that made sense. But I think externally, they're like, what, you just quit your job, like, and emailed the guy. <laughs> um, so yeah, and now we've realized the curriculum and the program and the methodology is applicable to anyone, not just designers. So we're currently in this process of um, expanding the audience and figuring out how to go a little bit wider with all of this. So I've really been in like an MBA for the past four years or so building this thing, figuring out like, you know, now that I figured out what the curriculum and and the program is, now I'm really dialing in like the operations and the behind the scenes and doing deals with different organizations and educational institutions and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's really fun. But if I could never have scripted this in a million years, it just would have never believed anyone if they said this is what I would be doing. I think that's the way it happens. And like you said, some of it just comes normally what we're really good at just comes so natural. We don't think about it. Like it is so second Mm -hmm. nature, but that's where we should lean into. But sometimes we need someone to hold that mirror up to ourselves or have a lot of people flood our inbox with questions and to to go off. (laughs) And you know, you made me think of something like one of the most important things that I forgot to mention, which is the the motivation to do the freelance work and, and all that. It was also spurred not just by me being somewhat bored and not wanting to be stuck in corporate, but I really love um, downhill skiing. I started skiing when I was three. I wanted to be a ski racer. Like it was just always my dream to ski all the time. And, um, in New York, I didn't ski that much cause I didn't want to like take day trips to New Hampshire or something. And mm-hmm. I didn't have tons of money to go on like trips to the West. So in 2017 or so, I just kind of started thinking, what would it look like if I moved to some ski town, you know? So I thought to myself, I can't run an agency and if it snows, go skiing. So, cause I really had this fork in the road. I could have grown an agency, but I thought, no, then my calendar will be blocks of meetings and I'll be traveling and I won't have freedom of my time. And that was a big, big kind of uh, non-negotiable for me. And so that's how I kind of thought to myself, okay, if I make these online classes and things like that, and I can sell them literally in my sleep and people can take the course while I'm sleeping or skiing because they're pre-recorded, that unlocks calendar freedom. That's really what I was thinking. Like, so in hindsight, I really designed my career around my desired lifestyle and methodically thought through the pros and cons of agency, not, et cetera. And that's how I landed in this world. And like it worked last year, I skied 85 days. So yeah. Wow. And if it's snowing, yeah, if it's, if it's snowing, I'm Like, I don't have to worry about canceling seven meetings or something because a lot of the meetings I could literally just take from a chairlift or the lodge on my headphones. Yeah. And I will routinely in the winter, I'll routinely show up to meetings with my team or like even a PR meeting 
like just with my helmet on outside or something. (laughs) I just, I'm like, this is my life. You can take it or leave it. (laughs) That's so brilliant though. I think that's something that a lot of us strive towards, especially now after the past couple of years, we want that autonomy of our schedule Uh to have that, that flexibility to make work work for us instead of us living to work like it's historically been. And, you know, I think the pandemic really gave people a taste of that, right? And I think so many of us approach our careers only thinking about the career first, like what job do I want to get next? What degree, what skill, et cetera, right? What ladder do I climb? And we in education, in career services and everything, we don't start with the life question first. We ask people, like you asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. But we don't ask people what type of life do you want to live? What type of lifestyle do you want to live? Like what are non-negotiables or things you want to be able to do? And so in career strategy lab, the program I run, the first thing that we have people do is map out their life. And, you know, whether that means you want to make sure you're home from work or logging off by three o'clock every day. So you can pick your kids up from school, whether that means you want to like work really hard now so you can retire at 50 and go do all kinds of crazy things, like whatever that means for you. And then figure out, okay, what career decisions do I need to make to reverse engineer that life I want to have? And Of course, we all need to pay the bills and we all have like responsibilities, right? So there may be times when we don't have the, you know, ability to do this. I've definitely said yes to like freelance work that I just thought, okay, I need this money. But um, I think a lot of people have these aspirations of this like life they want to live, but then they don't know how to get there. Um, cause the, the life and the career are disconnected. So that's a big part of our approach, kind of looking at everything holistically and then figuring out, okay, instead of playing the numbers game in your job search, what did you say you want in your career? Okay. That immediately narrows the pool of places you would want to apply because if you want remote, why are you wasting time hitting apply on non-remote jobs? You know? Mm-hmm. That's so important. It sounds like such a valuable exercise because we're always here about work-life balance, but I like the term more work-life integration to your point. How can you live the life that you want and make work fit for that? Like, do you have kids that you want to get off the bus every day? Like, do you want to work remote? All of those important questions that we need to be asking ourselves that I don't think we historically have been, or we don't think that we have that, that option or that autonomy, but, but we do, we, we have that ability Mm -hmm. to design what kind of life that we want for ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, when I, when I kind of created these lessons on this and the teachings on this, um, I didn't realize how valuable it would be for people. But now when people like finish that part of this program or in their exit surveys and stuff, that those two parts, like design your life, design your career, those are some of the most, if not the most referred to as the most valuable eye-opening, et cetera. Because here's the thing, when you then have that clarity of what do I want in life? What do I, what does my career need to look like? Then it's like you have now a thesis to go do your resume 
And now you have some guardrails for that, right? And a lot of people sit down to make their resume and they don't, they struggle, they overthink it, they try and perfect it, et cetera. When you can refer back to that mapper thesis that you just made, it makes it a lot easier. And it also helps you make decisions more quickly. Like we have people that have multiple job offers and they don't know which one to take. And they say, oh, well, I just look back to my life and my career roadmap. And then it made it very clear because in my non-negotiables, I said this. So now the choice is mine, but on paper, the decision is kind of clear, you know? So it takes a lot of the, the guesswork and second guessing, or as some people have said to me, like the, running around like a chicken with your head cut off out of this because you have a map. You know, you have a plan called Career Strategy Lab for a reason. So, yeah. One of my favorite questions I like to ask my guests is how their definition of success has changed from when they started their career to where they are now. Because I've, I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of similar themes and I think it's really fascinating. So how would you say that your definition of success has changed? Yeah. So it's funny. I was just writing about this for my um, book, but it really, you know, initially it was like, I need a full-time job, like benefits and all this stuff just to be independent. Right. And then it became, um, money because when you're young, you're like, Oh, well I have this salary. I need more money. Um, and then, so that was kind of the initial shift. Then it became time. I wanted freedom of time and all of that, which I've unlocked now, although some days it doesn't feel like that, but then What I've realized now, especially in the past four years or so, I feel like kind of my career compass right now is really around like impact and influence, but not in an influencer way. Like, I don't care how many followers I have. I'm more like, how do I impact and influence the people in the programs and and products that I have? Because when I started this, I didn't realize I would receive testimonials from people saying things like, I double my salary and now I have so much confidence after like the finalization of my divorce, knowing that I can support my child as a single income parent. And I'm like, oh my God, like that's not what I was thinking when I made all this. So I'm really thinking like, how can we go wider with this in order to spread this, this influence um, because of testimonials like that, you know? So that's what I'm kind of thinking about for the next, who knows how long, really? <laughs> yeah. How do, how do we branch out of my industry and get this in front of more people? I think that's all what, what a lot of us strive for to make that positive impact and influence to whatever sphere yeah. of people that we have um, the opportunity to, to influence because that's, it just feels so meaningful, like that you can influence people's lives in that way, in such a positive way and help them have a better life for themselves. That has to feel really, really good. It it does. And and the thing that, again, I wasn't thinking when I'm like writing the instructions of how to do a resume years ago, but it's when, when you learn how to do this, it's not just, you're going to do it now. You will use this for the next job and the next job Mm -hmm. and the next job, et cetera. And so it's like the, the timeless nature of what people are learning, but also the career long 
financial benefit. Like if you increase your salary by 30% right now or 130%, that means the next job you get might also be higher, right? It's mm-hmm. not guaranteed, but the, the, the impact of like compound interest in your career, in your savings or paying down debt and things. So, um, that's when I kind of realized, whoa, this is not just about like getting a new job or something like people's whole entire lives are being impacted by this financially, mentally, relationally. Like it, I had no idea what I was really, um, creating. So yeah, but it is so fulfilling to get those, to get those, you know, comments. And then it's just, I feel so lucky that it, I can do that and still do the things I want to do, you know, and I've assembled a great team, but you know, I'm in California right now, but Monday or whenever I'm back, I'm going to be out there on the slopes. Um, as long as I don't have a video meeting I have to be in for, but yeah, I'll be out there. So it's kind of awesome to, to see like the first 22, three years of my career, how it's all oddly come together. Yeah. And it'll be really cool to see what the next 20 bring and what that looks like for you. I know. I know. (laughs) You mentioned pencil me in, (laughs) pencil me in for 2040. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So you mentioned your book. So you have a book coming out later this year called The Product of You. So can you share a little bit more about that book and and what your your hopes and dreams are for it? Yeah. So The Product of You kind of captures what we've been talking about. Like, how do you apply design principles, marketing principles, and sales principles to your career? Because many of us, regardless of what you do, like we're all doing some type of selling. Selling is communicating. It's um, relating. And we're all doing some marketing. We're all doing some design. And so how do we do that for our careers? Um, Whether that means you want to get a new job, whether you want to get a promotion, you just want to be ready in case an unexpected opportunity comes. So the book really helps you figure out how to create a life first career and figure out your life, your career. How do you reverse engineer that? And once you figure that out, go make your resume, go to the job search chapter if that's what you're doing. So it kind of has a feel of a choose your own adventure book in a way, because you don't necessarily have to read it linearly. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I really didn't want it to feel like a textbook. So there are a lot of interesting stories about people and products that will give people tons of examples um, beyond just like, here's the formula to write a resume bullet point. So yeah, I'm very excited about it. That's so exciting. And congratulations. That's a really huge accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah, it's the biggest project. (laughs) (laughs) I, I would imagine having to make that mindset shift from maybe just going about your career, thinking about it more strategically like that, like you said, from a design perspective, a marketing perspective, how can someone begin to, to make that, that mindset shift to help them find that fulfilling career? Yeah. I think the first thing that you need to do to really get that mindset shift is like in our careers, a lot of people have a lot of shame and think that they are broken. For example, 
people who've applied to 100 jobs and haven't got an interview. More like 400, though, based on the data I see. And when that happens or when people are stuck in their job for years and they can't figure out how to get out, like they start to think they personally are a failure and that they're not good enough and that there's this imposter syndrome and and all this stuff and that they're broken. And so the big thing I think that people need to like recognize is you personally are not broken. It's not that you're not qualified. The reason you're stuck is because you don't learn this stuff in school. You don't learn it in your career services. Your manager isn't going to teach it to you. A lot of career books and advice out there are super um, surface level or they skip this design step of looking at your life and looking at your career and figuring that out. So in product development and that by that, I mean, like I've worked with a lot of startups on apps and websites and things. And before we ever like open a design program and start designing the interface of the app and what does it look like and everything, we do research, we go talk to people, we do surveys, we do focus groups, we go like, I don't know, watch people at the airport if we were going to design like an airline app or something like that. Um, and you do that because if you skip the research, whatever you design will be wrong because you were doing it based on what you thought versus what like the people really need. And so translate that to your career. A lot of people just jump into resume making, which is the equivalent of designing an app without doing that research. And so by doing that research of what do I want in my life? Well, how does that translate to my career? Then it makes everything else, the, the designing of your resume, the applying to jobs, the selling yourself into interviews makes it a lot, lot easier, a lot faster. And you're a lot more confident because when someone asks you, what do you want to do? Or where do you see yourself in two years or something like, you know, the answer. And so I say this based on like thousands of people following this kind of like design first approach, um, designing your life, designing your career and hearing when I had multiple job offers, it was very clear to me what I should do, you know, or we even, this is a good one. We even had someone join career strategy lab a couple of weeks ago. And after she did this design your life, design your career thing, she posts in our community. I think the title was like, sometimes you have to go. And she quit her job. She didn't have another one lined up. She's like, after I did the map your life and map your career, I realized what am I doing at this job? So she quit. I'm like, okay, so we have to shift our marketing. I guess sometimes you join our program to get hired and sometimes you quit your job, (laughs) but that's how powerful it was. I just thought this is incredible, you know, and she did it with such confidence. Like she had no concerns. She's like, I am putting a stake in the ground. I know this is right. And I'm confident I'll be hired when I need to be. And I was like, oh my God. That's amazing. It sounds like you're creating an avenue for people to self-reflect, which in theory sounds simple, but it's hard. It's to make that time to do it, to put the thought into it, to really slow down 
to be intentional and strategic yeah. about their next move. So it has to be really eye-opening when people actually take that time and are committed to, to pausing so they can understand yeah. where they are to figure out where they want to go. And, you know, I think the other thing is like a, a lot of people at the beginning or end of the year say they're going to do like reflective type exercise and then other things come up, everyone gets busy and it mm-hmm. moves away from the to-do list. But doing it in community with other people is so powerful because A, it creates accountability, but B, it also, you know, someone says something about their career or their life and it sparks ideas for you. Like in the same way that I said, I skied 85 days last year, there's probably people when I said that who are thinking, oh my gosh, like what if I could golf 85 days here or whatever it is you want to do, you know, or pick up the kids from school or be able to walk them to school in the morning. And sometimes you just don't even think those things are possible until you hear it and see it from other people. So um, the community element of this is very powerful too, because it it also creates accountability and confidence, which is huge for people. I can imagine. So what would be the, the one thing you'd want everyone who reads your book, The Product of You, to take away? I kind of already said it, but I'll say it again. I I want people to recognize that if they are stuck, it's not because they are broken or they are a failure or they're not good enough. It's because they don't know any better. They are stuck in outdated advice. Um, And through thinking about your career and life through this design first, um, method, and then going about your job search or your resume and things like that. It's going to make everything easier. But I just, I see so many people just like experiencing mental health issues or dissatisfaction in their career impacts their relationships and all kinds of things. And we could change this, um, by really treating ourselves like a product, starting with research and then um, moving on from there to actually go chase that promotion or that new job or what, whatever advancing your career means to you, because it's different for many people, you know? I'm curious, is there anything that you learned about yourself during the process of writing the book? I learned this year was um, one of my more challenging years personally for like many reasons. I learned I'm a lot more resilient than I thought I was, um, which is, is great because I, there were moments when I thought maybe we should just push, push this book for like a year or longer or something like that. So I think I'll always be able to look back on this in whatever challenge comes up next. Right. And look at this and remember like you got through that year and writing a book and the down economy, which did impact my business and all this stuff. Um, And the other thing I realized is I always knew I was good at writing just ever since I was in eighth grade. Um, I won a creative writing award, (laughs) but I've just always been practicing writing too for my blog and stuff. But I realized I'm a really good kind of dot connector and storyteller, just the more people who've checked out early copies of this and stuff. So I'm excited to see where writing might take me. Um, cause like I said, 10 years ago, I would never have thought I would be doing this. And like you said, 10 years from now, 
I have no idea. Like, it will be mind blowing to see what I'm doing, I'm sure. So maybe storytelling will be a part of it. I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see. That's so exciting. So I want to wrap up our conversation. I always ask our, my guests, what's the biggest takeaway you've had from your entire career thus far? Hmm, that's a good one. I think that I, early in my career, I always felt like I wasn't in control. Like it was ultimately my manager had control over my career or the company and things like that. And I've recognized that you can really kind of be the CEO of your career and be able to create the life that you want to have if you, like you said, kind of hit pause, be very reflective and intentional about your career decisions. Um, and like I said, it's not always possible. Maybe there will be a time when I need to go get a full-time job. Who knows? But even for people that do have full-time jobs, like there are still options of um, being able to choose jobs that fit the non-negotiables for your life. I love that. So where can people find out more about you, learn about you and your work and your book? Yeah, the best place to go is just productofyoubook.com and I'll take you to the website. And then from there, you can find out more about me or the book. Um, you can find all our social links at the bottom of that website too. So yeah, that's, that's where to learn all about the product of you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. Congratulations on the book. I'm so excited to get my hands on a copy and, and check it yes. out. I know there's a lot of great things ahead. Thank you. It was great to be here, Danielle. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the conversation, share it with a friend, um, leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. It is the best way that you can support the podcast and it helps other people find this content and it just means the world to me. So thank you so much. If you want to follow along, you can follow us on Instagram at the first 10 years podcast. You can reach out via email at the first 10 years podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on social everywhere at Danielle Doolin. And I can't wait to be back next week with another episode. Bye.